0: Well, welcome this morning to our Sunday School Hour. Um, <clears throat> uh, we've been talking about the uh, Christian conflict that is uh, uh, part of the, well, if you will, the lifestyle of a Christian. Uh, we're going to engage in various different um, battles throughout our life, and how we go about that is of the utmost importance uh we can't avoid them uh we cannot uh run from them uh battles are um, all inclusive it is uh what i mean by that is is that uh, regardless of uh how we try to avoid them and how we try to uh you know get rid of them in our life uh, that conflict is going to come uh it, it's just the, the nature of uh, this world it's the nature of what we have to sometimes battle in our flesh Paul battled it. Uh, Paul fought with it and he goes in great detail in Romans chapter 7 about it. um, you know, outlining about the things that he would do and the things that he shouldn't do and all of this, uh, uh, not doing what he's supposed to and, and it's just this, this battle, this war of the mind. <clears throat> and again, most of the premise of what we're looking at this, uh, in this series is, is based off the fact of if we don't know how to win the war that is going to be within us, uh, with our own flesh, with our own will and the temptations and everything that's out there, we're not going to understand how to deal with the conflict that is without. Uh, how do we deal with a, a, a nation that is, uh, you know, on the verge of just tearing itself apart? How do we deal with those things that, uh, very clearly uh, concern us? And many times individuals would be concerned more about those things then the things that are within, and they will try to make an external change, but there's no internal uh, change that is made, and the end result is, is it just fails. Because again, it is the spiritual that should be driving what the flesh does. We must be yielded to the spirit versus being yielded to the flesh. So, as we kind of talk more about this, I want to talk a little bit about some of the temptations we We, we clearly outlined some of the devil 's tactics uh, the last uh, couple of days or uh, Sundays we talked about a couple of the the methods that he uses uh, in waging war and again, there are, there are more than just just these two but uh, these are some of the primary ones that we 'd obviously see in scripture so we 're going to address these ones first. And we obviously talked about deceit and lies and things of that nature, uh, but also there's the idea of temptation. And temptation is a very serious thing. And with these, when we allow a lie to come into our life, and when we allow a temptation to be entertained and um, acted upon, we are creating, if we will, a deadly compound, a deadly mixture. Remember, one of the... First jobs I had, they, uh, uh, there was a uh, responsibility for cleaning and they didn't really do much in regards to cleaning. They just said, okay, you know, here's the, f- the fluid, just dump it in there and, and carry about. Um, I wasn't too long on that job for various reasons and then I went to my second job working with Palos Drugstores and they had a-, a very detailed safety plan talking about how to mix. If you're asked to mop a floor, you do not pour an ammonia-based cleaning product in there with a bleach because you're going to kill yourself and everyone else in the building. Um, They made it very clear not to do that, that those are dangerous mixtures, dangerous compounds to put together. And when we think about the Christian life, and when we allow the lies to come in, and we allow the temptations to come in and go through them and actually fulfill those temptations, we are creating a a mixture in our life of the things of the world and for the things of God. And I'll be very, very clear in this regard. The things of, 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 of God and the things of this world do not mix well. Uh, it, it creates a, a very horrible situation. Many times it will create a pharisaicalism. It'll create a humanism as we see throughout scripture. It will create uh, a struggle in the Christian life. So we have to understand that there's a different thought process that has to be engaged when we go through these things. So let's look at a couple of things here. Uh, let's turn over in our Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> And, and, and I want to point this out. There's a, a reason why we're going back to this verse. This is a verse that we should be very familiar with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I want you to again understand it is common to man. There are practices that are out there that are devilish in nature that are going to be common in this world. The temptations that we go through, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those are common to man. We find them very clearly being identified in the temptations of Christ as well. Those things that Christ was tempted with, those are things that are common to man. That's why he identified those three. And if you remember, when we studied those, it was very clear that it said that the devil left for a season, meaning that throughout Christ's ministry, the devil was always there to tempt, to try to drag Christ away from doing the will of the Father. Now, when we go through this and we read and realize that these are temptations that are common we can come along and encourage and help and edify and strengthen one another through the word of God, through his spirit. As he says there in this passage, he says, But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation almost so awake a way to escape, you may be able to bear it. Now, now, here here's the amazing thing about this. This is why uh, uh, one of the, the things that, that gets me is people will say words like, I just can't help myself. No, 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 let's, let's change that phrase. Let's change that phrase. You don't want to help yourself. I mean, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Well no, you don't understand. The impulse is just too great, but God just said He gave you a way to escape it. And it's probably very clearly labeled. There's probably a giant exit sign. There's probably a huge sign that says escape hatch. There's prob- I mean, it's probably you could drive a Volvo truck through it. <laughs> and it's that apparent. But most people won't take that route. And there's a reason why. They become accustomed to it. They've become, it's become a habit to them and they don't know how to make that change. So there, God makes it very clear here that there is a common temptation. And with that common temptation that the devil will bring about, God's also going to say, okay, well, devil, you're going to bring that one about here. I'm going to bring an exit door for every temptation that you bring. I'm going to bring an exit for every temptation that you throw at mankind. I'm going to give them a way of escaping it because i'm going to make it clear you don't have to fall for it when we begin to realize that this is exactly what god's telling us we begin to realize that the importance of identifying those doors identifying those opportunities i mean if you go over to james chapter 1 and again these are some very familiar passages to us in james chapter 1 and in verse 14 it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Temptations are custom made, okay? But there's a template. There's a template. It's like a car. You want to make your car unique and individual to yourself. Some people don't care about that and they just, you know, it's just a car, they get in the car and they drive. You know, they, they don't care whether it's the base model or the luxury model or whatever it is. But, you know, as a rule, sometimes we like to make things personal. So what do we do? We begin to customize it. Maybe we want different wheels. Maybe we want, uh, you know, a different air freshener. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe we have, uh, you know, some uh, little riding buddy that we have with us or something like that. Maybe we've got uh, a bumper sticker that we put on the back of our car or something that identifies it uniquely to us, things of that nature, and it kind of makes it stand out. Now, again, you know, some of those cars you drive by and, and, and you see exactly what we're talking about. They're unique. They're unique in nature. Most Subaru drivers, for some strange reason, slap tons of bumper stickers on the back of them. I don't know, apparently there's some sort of rule that if you drive a Subaru, you have to have the X number of the bumper stickers on the back, especially if you live in Portland. <clears throat> I, I, I don't know what that's all about. You know, if I, I, I'll tell you this, if I had, if I had a Subaru, an old Subaru, I'd pass for the back of that thing, but it would be with things that would probably get me forced off the road. <laughs> bumper sticker wise. Uh, I just generally don't like bumper stickers. They just, to me, sometimes I think they just make you a target, but whatever. Uh, to each their own. <clears throat> but I'll tell you this, we like to customize it. But there's a basic template. There's a basic form to it. And we can add this and we can add that. So a, a, a perfect example would be this. Is there anybody in here that just does not like ice cream? Just absolutely hates it? I'm not talking about you, you don't like it because you've got an allergy or anything. But, but let's say all you have is vanilla ice cream. That's it. That's all you've got. Vanilla ice cream. You don't get any other choices. There's no chocolate. There's, there's no mint. There's, there's, there's nothing. There's no strawberry. It's just that. You know what's so great about vanilla ice cream? You can make it taste like whatever you want it to. You want chocolate? What do you do? Half a jar of Hershey's. <laughs> <laughs> You want sprinkles? Throw that on there. You want cherries? Throw that on there. You want strawberries? You throw that on there. You want a banana in there? Throw that in there. Whatever it is. Uh, you, you want minty? You, you know, find something that tastes minty and throw mint leaves on the top of it. Some people will do that. Um, I mean, it, w- whatever it may be, it is that, that it's customizable. Now I say all of that to say this, is that you generally make it the way that you want to make it. I mean, we, when you're talking about even even the forms of, uh, I know I'm talking about food this morning, sorry. <clears throat> but, you know, you, you have a burger, right? And people look at that and they say, well, there's a different way everybody likes a burger. You know, some people like onions, some people don't. Some people want tomatoes, some people like lettuce. People that are allergic to lettuce, we avoid it, like the plague. Whatever it may be. You put different sauces on there that's when you go to like a barbecue that's why there's fifty million condiments on the table that you can choose from to make it the way you want to make it. Now. Hot dogs are very different. there's like only one acceptable condiment for a hot dog., <laughs> yeah, it depends. <laughs> the base form is mustard. <laughs> They, yeah, they were. They, 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 now this is where the Baptists start fighting. <laughs> what to put on a hot dog? <laughs> Speaking of which, that's the next potluck: <laughs> dogs and burgers. <laughs> but you, you, I mean, we all have different things, and we want what we want on that dog. You ever have somebody make a hamburger for you or a hot dog, and it's just, you know, you appreciate the thought. But it's just not what you really would have put on there. No. You know, maybe there you are, you got your hot dog and, and all you really wanted on there was just yellow mustard. French's, yellow mustard. And that's all you wanted. You didn't want anything else. And, and then they go and they put some ketchup on there, they put some relish, they put the mustard, and then they put mayonnaise on it. Exactly. Who does that? You're like, why? And you're over there with a spoon trying to scrape off that thin white line and throw it away. And you're eating it because you're being gracious and you're being charitable and you're trying to make sure you prefer somebody else and, and, and and you just, you know, you don't want to make sure you're a stumbling block or offensive to them in any way, shape or form. But you generally want it the way you want it. You realize that temptations are tailor-made that way for you. It's going to play upon what you want. And the reason is, is because when the base temptation comes, we inject ourselves into it. We're the ones that often will customize it. And we'll choose certain things about it. And you know what? That's part of the idea behind this escape. We don't have to. We don't have to follow what our lusts tell us that we want. We can just flat out say no. But the problem is, is the enticement is just too much. It's just too much. And here we are looking at these things and we realize that, that that when we start allowing these things to influence us it creates this mixture and and, and what just generally happens is if you will we commit the spiritual murder of ourselves. We destroy our own lives. We commit spiritual suicide. Take a look at some of the devilish practices <clears throat> Go Over to the book of uh, First Timothy or First uh, Thessalonians. Let's go to the First Thessalonians. Let's start there. <clears throat> First Thessalonians uh, chapter three. <clears throat> and a- a- as 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 we 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 saw a little bit about who the devil is, he is he's called the tempter. Matthew chapter 4, he's called the tempter. In here, in verse 5, it says, For this cause, uh, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. So here's the conflict. <clears throat> he, he, here he is watching what's going on with the Thessalonians during their time of difficulty, and he has a concern that they are going to be tempted, and they're going to fall for that temptation. And I will tell you this, in difficult times, when affliction comes, when trials are there, when problems are in your life, that is the time that you will be tempted the most. How do we know that? The book of Job. (laughs) The book of Job is kind of a standard thing. But I will also tell you this, sometimes when you sit back and you think everything's golden, everything's fine, and there are no problems at all, boom, there comes the temptation as well. So it's not just the situation where, 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 where something's going to happen, but I tell you this, we should be concerned that somebody else might be tempted, but we have to make sure that we ourselves aren't falling for those same temptations. We have to make sure that we're going through a process of looking at all of these things and saying, I'm going to make some decis- decisions, I'm going to make some choices that are going to be God-fearing so that I can help the other person. This is part of the issue. You know, again, I like to think of temptation as a sinking boat. That way of escape is a life raft. It's generally selfish to be the only one in the life raft when there's others on the boat. So if we're all going through the same common temptation, why in the world would we not want to help somebody else? We've got to get to this mentality where we seek to do those things. We have obviously seen very clearly that the devil blinds. He he causes us to to see things incorrectly. He causes us to 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 um, if you will, view it with a different set of glasses. Let's go back over to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter four, verse four. And I know we we've talked about this verse, but I, I want to make this clear: Second Corinthians four four talking about uh, um, some of the issues now this is this is talking about the gospel this is talking about what's going on here um and in verse 3 he talks about but if our gospel be hid it is hid to them that are lost and why is that it says in verse 4 in whom the god of this world that's the devil hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who's the image of God should shine unto them. So you, you, you've got to overcome that darkness. When, when we talk about this blinded nature, we often see that with individuals that, that are, are, are set to do their own temptations. Why? It's because they want it so bad. They're blinded by it. They're absolutely blinded. Have you ever made a bad decision that you realize that later on there was a ton of people that told you you don't do it? <laughs> <clears throat> Generally, it involves buying a boat or buying an RV. <laughs> but I mean, do you understand what I'm saying is, is, is sometimes there, there are things out there that people will say, hey, don't follow that, don't do that, don't go that direction. I mean, how many pastors and how many evangelists and how many missionaries get up there, and it seems like they say the same thing. Don't fall for that sin. Don't fall for that one. Don't fall for this. Make sure the pride is out of your life. Make sure you're humble. Make sure you're holy. Make sure you're desiring the will of God. We, we preach the same thing. But for some reason it gets blinded in our mind that we can't receive that. That somehow the signal is jammed. And as a Christian, we have to be very cognizant and very aware of those tactics so that we can combat and we can actually do what the Lord is asking us to do. I want you to turn over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55. <clears throat> now look, you know, I, I know we're talking about the devil and the influence that's there. And I've often said that many times people give the devil way too much credit. Um, and they say, well, the devil that made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You, you you chose to do it. Maybe the devil provided the temptation. But sometimes, you know, we go about, we create our own temptation. We set up our own gods in our life. We bow down and worship those own gods. And then we ask this, you know, regarding the consequences, we ask this why mentality. And God says, because you're doing sin over here. And it's not necessarily that God is raining judgment down, but there's a consequence when we do that. We've got to understand that. And we also have to understand that God will judge sin accordingly. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you continue in that sin, God will judge that sin. That's why he says that we should judge ourselves first and say, no, God told me no, I shouldn't do that. And change the behavior, change the pattern. In in Isaiah chapter 55, I want you to see here talking about uh, uh, in verse, uh, let's go to verse 6 for this context. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. You know, there, there is a point in time where it is too late to seek God. It is too late. It's too late when you're dead. I mean, that may seem obvious. It's too late. Uh, when you look at uh, the timeline of man's existence in, in the 7,000 years of this earth, uh, you know, at the end of it, it's too late. It's too late. But therein is just the absolute gracious long-suffering and mercy of God, uh, just demonstrated to mankind that He would go 7,000 years giving mankind an opportunity and a choice. 7,000 years. Man, we get upset if, you know, our burrito at Taco Bell isn't, you know, in our lap in seven minutes. So here, here we are looking at what, what God does. And he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. But, but take a look at verse 7. And this is talking about some changes that we make in our life. He says, let the wicked forsake his way. Let the wicked forsake his way, way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon I mean, right there is just probably, if you want to find a good verse that will motivate you, that's a good verse to motivate you. Why is it? Because God will abundantly pardon. He's not stingy with that. We get stingy with things, don't we? We get stingy. You know, somebody else comes over and they're going to put the sprinkles on your ice cream and they just do one shake. You're like, really? What's that? Come on. And then they go, Shh. you're like, come on. Rip it out of their hand. And you're like, don't screw the cap. <laughs> you, maybe you like sprinkles. Maybe you don't. I don't care. But <laughs> the idea is, is sometimes we get stingy. God's not when it comes to this. Somebody comes and they are truly repentant. God will, will address that person according to his mercy, according to that pardon, and praise God for it. Because sometimes, you know what, that's a difficult thing for us to understand how merciful and gracious God truly is, even to the most evil person that ever existed. Now again, the devil, I'm not talking about him. But what we see here is he says there's a couple of things that have to happen. There is a forsaking that goes on. The wicked has to forsake his way and the unrighteous has to forsake the evil thoughts. This is the concept. This is the concept. We have to forsake it as in we have to leave it, abandon it, never come back to it, have no desire to come back to it. And leave it, if you will, for dead and then let it rot and be on its own and not us have any involvement in it. So when the temptation comes and we realize that it is custom made to our own lusts for the purpose of enticing it, we have to, number one, forsake the way that we were going that is heading down that path. That is something that we need to avoid. We need to flee from it. And as necessary, fight in the right way, which is to change the thought processes, according to Romans 12. And we say, no, I won't do that, but I will do what God wants me to do. It's not enough to just say no. You must say no and then yes. You say no to sin. You say no to the temptation. You say, no, I will not allow that in my life. No, I will not allow the devil to tempt me. No, I will not allow my own will to come in. No, I will not allow my pride to go up. I will not allow those things... And we say, but I will let the Lord and his Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. I will allow him to do a perfect work in my life. I will purpose to follow him every single direction that he leads me in. I will get engaged in his Word so that I will have the necessary means to combat in this fight. All of those things. But sometimes people are just, they think it's enough to just go, no. Here he's saying it's more than that. Because it says, right there, he says, and let him return unto the Lord. Let him return unto the Lord. He's heading one direction, and and, and he says the the wicked man and the unrighteous say, I'm not going to go that way anymore. He turns around, and what does he do? He returns back to God. He changes a direction. That's what repentance is about. And you see that there's an influence that's there. Now, many times an individual, we start talking about common temptation. We start talking about a means of escape. Uh, they don't see the door. They can't necessarily find, uh, if you will, where it is. And many times it's because they are blind or they're blinded by darkness that's in their life. And they need the light of the, the word of God to shine forth. And And sometimes somebody comes along and helps that individual and guides and directs and things of that nature. But when that happens and occurs, there's often a conflict that is brought up with this Christian warfare where somebody says, you know what, but you don't understand my position. You don't understand where I'm at. I don't need to understand cancer by having it. I can understand that it is horrible to have. You don't tell a doctor, well, you just don't understand my cancer because you don't have it. He probably knows more about your cancer than you do. But therein lies the issue. And sometimes people will will have that thought process, maybe even towards God. Well, the Bible doesn't have my answer. The Bible's not going to help me in this situation. I've already prayed. What does that do? Go over to the book of Romans again. Let's go over to Romans chapter 5. And again, I I, I bring this up because we've got to get this as a mentality uh, uh, of what we think about. Uh, Romans chapter 5 and in verse 20. Now this has to be the thought process. This has to be a thought process. Let's just think about this just for a second before we get too far reading into this verse. Let's think about this for a second. Is the world filled with iniquity today? Did we not experience some of that just this past week? I mean, that's just horrific. I, I, just, I just... Mentally, there was something wrong. That doesn't justify the action. It doesn't justify the action. Um, but that's one of many things that have happened this week. One of many. There has been a lot of things that happen happened in this life. And we keep looking at everything that's going on, and we keep saying, well, can it get any worse? And then we're like, before those words even get out of our mouth, and then, you know, CNN reports something, if you listen to that one. Uh, <laughs> Fox News doesn't matter. Any, any of them, whatever it is. The end result is, is what we begin to see, and we look out the world, and we go, "Man, there's a lot of sin." We, we're 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 very much aware of the the statement that Christ said, as in the days of Noah, when he's talking about last times. We look at it, and we go, "Well, are we there yet?" Well, it said that the thoughts and the intents of their heart were evil continually, right? But the thoughts of their heart were evil continually, and it says that the, the 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 whole you know world was filled with violence. Seems like we're getting close. Seems like we're getting close. But when we begin to realize that there's a lot of stuff that can still happen, we. we we still kind of tell ourselves, well, we're close, we're close, we're close. We're worse off than whatever we were beforehand. And I understand that thought process. And sometimes I've heard Christians just flat out say, well, I just want the Lord to come back because it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I get it. I understand that. Let me ask you this. Which is greater Sin or God's grace? Romans 5.20, he says, More of the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace did much more abound. Look, I don't care how much sin you have in your life. The grace of God will take care of that. The grace of God will help you with that. If you allow Him as that grace is supposed to work in your life, you allow His mighty hand to change you, you allow the Holy Spirit to make those, uh, you know, decisions in your life that you have not been making the right ones with, all of those things, guess what happens? That grace is going to abound more than your sin. And this is where we have to get to this mindset and this thought process of if we really want victory, we've got to go to the source of the victory. We've got to return to the Lord. We've got to change the way we think. We've got to forsake the uh, things that are iniquitous. And we've got to get back to this mindset saying, God, your grace is greater than even my sin. God, your grace is greater than all the sin that I see in this world right now. For some strange reason, we just think sin is just this absolute massive monster that can't be controlled. But it is because of what the Lord does and what the Lord has done. He, he, His grace is far better, is, is, is much more powerful, is much more abounding if we would just let that abound in our life. The question is, is how much do you want sin abounding and how much do you want grace abounding more? Yeah. That's the mindset. This is where the real conflict comes in. We have to make some very difficult decisions and we have to change some things. You know, <clears throat> sometimes people will get stuck in these mindsets. Let me give you an example. Let's say you've got a marriage uh, two individuals, uh, man and a woman get married. That's the only way it is. <clears throat> man and woman get married, and let's say the wife one day gets a gospel tract, she reads it, and she trusts Christ as her savior. Something's changed. Okay? You now have a situation where beforehand it was two unbelievers, now you have a believer and an unbeliever. And that mixture gets a little dicey really quickly. So something, something's going to change. Something's going to happen. Uh, you know, she starts uh, growing in the Lord, she goes out, she buys a Bible, she starts attending uh, Sunday school and uh, Sunday services, and midweek services, and things of that nature. She starts going to ladies' luncheons and Bible studies. Things change. And the husband sees it. And he doesn't like it. Because now they can't engage in the sin that they once engaged in. Something's changed. And he begins to make her life miserable. Now, I'll tell you, it's a difficult thing. Let's say, let's say, just kind of put yourself in this position. There you are, whether you're a friend or whether you're a pastor or whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you're just helping or whatever it may be. And this spouse comes and says, I just, I I just, I don't know what to do anymore. And in order to help this Christian during this time, you have to begin to get them to think differently. You have to begin to get them to think differently. And you have to get them to change the concept. If you go back over there to that 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, but God is faithful, right? She has to focus on the faithfulness of God. Because you know what happens? If she focuses on what her husband is doing, you know what's gonna happen? She's gonna miss out on that peace and joy because now she's thinking that peace and joy is dependent on his behavior and his mood. <coughs> now that's dangerous, isn't it? What happens with moods? You ever heard of the term mood swing? And you swear that the person's bipolar or something. And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody that has that condition. I'm just saying that, that you look at that and you go, they're from one here and then they're over 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 here. And, over here. and you're just like, what is going on? You can't stay I- I- I peaceful and joyful if that's what you're focusing on. It's a moving target. What's harder to hit, a moving target or a stationary target? Hmm. <laughs> Depends if you're trying to follow the target or if you're going to wait for it to come into your sights and ambush it. I mean, again, however it goes about, you're engaging in the behavior. But I'm, what I'm getting at is that's not what you focus on. And in order to get to the point of where you're escaping, what happens is you begin to focus on the behavior and the, if you will, the actions, the grace of God in his faithfulness. And you focus on the right thing. See, the problem is, is we often focus on the wrong, the wrong part of the situation. We never focus on what God is doing in our life. We never focus on what God will do in our life we never focus on how great god is during those times of difficulties and during those times of temptation so here throughout scripture we see this over and over again that these this has to change the mentality of what we're doing now i'll tell you this here here's one of the things that i want us to focus on a little bit now we will all readily admit that satan is obviously very powerful right uh First uh, Peter chapter 5 goes over there. He walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking, uh, seeking whom he may devour. right? So we know he's strong. Uh, and, and again, I want us to think about this, you know, who he is and what he's doing. So first and foremost, he's a lot wiser than you ever are, than you ever will be. Why? Because he was wiser than Solomon and he enticed, or entangled Solomon into a lust that brought him down, right? Well, he's a lot stronger than you, he's a lot stronger than the strongest man. Look at what he did to Samson. And if we think that we stand strong spiritually and we've got a desire for the heart of God, look at what he did to David. Well, let's not kid ourselves. Let's not not engage in a behavior where where we we don't understand this. But but here's where we have to begin to understand where the escape is, where the the, the source of victory is, where the real, true uh, power lies. Go over to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I, I, I love this this part, Colossians chapter 2, and, and he talks about all of these things. In verse 10, he says, and you are complete in him, which is the power, or excuse me, which is the head of all principality and power. So very first, we understand this. Colossians 2.10 says that he is over everything. Every principality and power that's out there, he's over them. In verse 11, it says, in whom, you are, uh, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. It talks about that salvation, what happens at the point of salvation, cutting away that flesh and, and you are now grafted to the Spirit. There's an important part of that. And he says here in this part, in verse, uh, uh, verse 13, he says, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath made, hath quickened together, uh, excuse me, he hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. And so, and praise the Lord for that. Now look at this, in verse 14, he says, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was contrary against us, we, er, which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Blotted it out took it out of the way. It's gone. It's nailed to the cross. Well, where is it? It's paid for on the cross. But it still plagues me in my life. Well, it's on the cross. It's paid for. You wouldn't go buy a car. Let's say you go buy a car for $10,000, you pay it off, you don't go to the bank and say, I want to pay again. You'd be like, no, it's paid for. I'm not going to pay twice. I'm only going to pay once. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was paid for. Once, and for all, and forever. Praise God for that. But what we find here is in verse 15, he says, "...and having spoiled principalities and powers..." He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, I want us to understand, this is not talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. This is not talking about throwing the devil into the lake of fire at the end in Revelation chapter 20 and and, and talking about Revelation 21 with new heaven, new earth, no sin, no death, no sorrow, none of that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about it in the present right now. This is what he's done. So why in the world would we think that a temptation or a sin is too great in our life that it cannot be addressed according to God? The main reason is, is because we're blinded and we're deceived into thinking a lie that we've been told over and over and over again. Sin is too powerful. The devil is too strong. Well, yeah, for you and me. But praise God, it's not about me. I have a living Savior. He works in my life. I follow His will. I do what He tells me to do. Does that mean I'm going to be free from all temptation and free from all trying of my faith? Absolutely not. Why is that? Well, we'll learn a little bit more about that in Ecclesiastes tonight. Why? Because the trying of our faith works what? That that, that nice P word that everybody loves. Patience. Look, do not avoid patience in your life. Embrace it. Accept it. To not embrace it and to not accept it is a prideful mentality. We have to love it. We have to patiently wait. And I get it. We've been programmed not to do that. Change the programming. Upgrade the software. Rip out the old one, put a new one in. Start thinking differently. Start thinking differently. Uh, I mean, he says a similar thing over in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, talking about this process. (laughs) <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, verse 14, he says, for, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, talking about flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage and what happens God gives a victory you don't have to be bound by that sin anymore you don't have to be bound by the death the punishment of sins the hell that remains for those that have refused we have to have this mindset 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the reason why I'm reinforcing these things that he talks about in John 16, where he says he has overcome the world already. The reason I reinforce that is because as we move through this thought process about how to get victory, it really truly is about the thought process of the soldier. The thought process of the soldier. You can give a guy that doesn't know anything about the equipment, throw it on them, and guess what's going to happen? You can give him the best firearm that will never jam. You can give him the best body armor. You can give him the best equipment. But if he doesn't have the desire and he doesn't have the will to do it. It doesn't make a difference what you give him. It doesn't make a difference what you give him. Now look, we have been given such a great promise about what the word of God gives to us from the armor of God. But if we don't have the desire to please God, then this will have little to no effect in our life. Many times people will say, well, I'm just not getting something out of my Bible reading. Do you want to get something out of your Bible reading? Are you are you truly engaging in it so that you will? Are you actively looking for it, or are you just waiting for it to just kind of fall upon you? There's a big difference between the two. That verse that we read over there in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, the very first word said, seek. Not wait, but seek. God wants you to seek him. God wants you to actively engage in it. God wants you to actively do something in your life to engage in this fight. Again, like I said, we know the devil's powerful, but our God is far more powerful than him. I don't care how powerful and how bad it gets, our God is still greater. We have to have that mentality. We still have to have that mentality when we engage in the temptations. So there we are. We don't have to worry about all of those things that are going to come flooding upon us before they hit us. When those temptations come, all we have to do is look and say, okay, well, what did God tell me to do about it? I found his escape hatch right here in the Word of God. I'm going to take it. That's how we begin to make this change in our life. Are you looking for the escape? Are you looking for the escape? People will try to escape things in their life, but they don't do it the right way. They look for different doors. And obviously that just leads them further into the temptation or further into a pit. So we have to make sure that we engage in the activity of choosing the right door, the right escape the right way, according to the word of God. And we'll find out some more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and just, uh, just dismiss for a moment with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time that we have. I thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to engage your word, to truly seek what you have here for us, that, Lord, we would be very instructed, according to your word, that, Lord, there would be a distinct change in our life. Lord, again, I just thank you for uh, those that are here. And I pray, Lord, that this uh, time that we're about to spend worshiping you, praising you, would be glorifying unto you in your name. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.